in Jerusalem, where the temple was built and somewhat restored, even though not to the glory it was with Solomon. But how many of you all know God doesn't forget his people? God does not forget his people. There is a servant of the Lord. He's not a priest. He's not a scribe. He's not a prophet. But he is a lay person. He's a regular believer named Nehemiah. And the cool thing about Nehemiah is he knows his word and he prays. He has a real prayer life. And he knows his Bible. This individual, Nehemiah, he believes and knows that God does not forget his people. And this individual actually believes that God can use him to cause great change. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to start with setting, with setting up the, the main issue here. And Nehemiah finds out himself. Verses 1 through 3. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakali. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. City walls in ancient times were very important. Imagine if you had no doors, no locks, no windows nowadays, and it's getting cold, (laughs) right? City walls for them meant they had no protection. People could just come in from any side. It was a line of defense. It's that upper ground as people try to invade or come in. They didn't have that strategy. They didn't have that key defense strategy. The lack of a protecting wall and the wall that needed repair was a big thing. It was a shameful thing. It would have caused them great shame. They're living in a place that had no protection, easily conquered. And the bad thing is, is not only did they have a broken wall, they were not allowed to fix that wall. So this caused great trouble and shame. It was humiliating. The people of God were not in their land. They were exiled. They were scattered. The lack of the wall was embarrassing. Not only that, they had their gates destroyed. So there were different gates for different reasons. And some of these gates could have helped with trading or just for decor or beautification. Some of them were even used for to be fortified, right? They, were, they had shields on them. All their gates were burned down and destroyed. So this is a people that have been messed up by their previous leadership, no longer have a place that is secure, and then they have the shame of it all as well. Anybody could just walk in and do whatever. The temple is there. They had nothing to protect that. You notice what Nehemiah does here, though? Nehemiah is not in Jerusalem. He's not by there. He is in a a place called Citadel of Susa, and he has a job where he is with the king. But what does he do? Even though he's in that nice spot, he asks about the people of God. 
He was more than just someone who was just in that place of privilege. He asked, he was concerned with the people of God. What's going on with the people of God? What's going on with the people that I came from? Next, we're going to hear a big prayer of Nehemiah. In this prayer, we're going to break this prayer down. Turn with me to verses 4 through 11. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive. And your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success your servant daily and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah had influence. He could, he could see the king almost daily. He would taste the drink before that. He had opportunity and relationship with the king. He had influence. He was an important man. He would hear things. He would be part of conversation. And we see that even though he's in this big time position, he puts himself in a position where he almost considers that he himself is in the same predicament. Did you hear his prayer? He used the word we. He identified with them. Nehemiah's reaction was also immediate and extreme. He was real. He didn't sugarcoat it. He cried and he wept. And I know that looks like he just cried and wept and then it moves on. But scholars say that that time period was about four months of that. He was really down and out. He was really hurt. He was really sad. He felt their hurt and their pain. He knew the shame this must have caused. Nehemiah had his ears to the street, y'all. He knew what people were going through. And it did something to him. It made him act some sort of way. And how many of you all know that any great work of God requires God doing a great work in somebody? Right? That's the way he does it here. God had and was doing a work in Nehemiah's heart. As soon as he hears that information... We see his heart. However, Nehemiah just didn't have the emotion. It says he fasted and prayed for many days, four months of this time. If he stayed in his emotion only, he would start complaining about everything. Maybe he wouldn't even do anything. But Nehemiah began the battle. Remember, Prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. So he starts praying. He's ready to do something about this. 
He's not preparing. He's ready to call on God to do something about this. Nehemiah was staring at a situation that this has been going on for over a hundred years. But guess who he prayed to? It said he prayed to the God of heaven. Do you know who we pray to? Nehemiah knows that God can use him. Remember, he's not a priest. He's not Ezra. He wasn't a scribe. He had a great normal job. He was working in a secular workplace. And God placed him there. And yet we see that even though he was in this secular workplace, he was not secular. Even though he was in this non-Christian setting, this non-following God setting, he, was, he did not stop following God. He prayed to a God who knew where he was and his situation. Verses 5 to 7. He starts his prayer with praise. Do you all know that every time you pray, most of the time we all start off with, Dear God, Heavenly Father, Father God, Lord God. You know what we do almost immediately when we start praying? We acknowledge that there's someone that's sovereign. He starts that way as well. He understands that there's a Heavenly Father, that there's a Lord God. There's an acknowledgement there that there's someone who's omnipotent. When we pray, we should feel that same thing. The next thing he does is he confesses sin. Now, this is kind of weird because some of you all say, well, he wasn't even there. We're talking about hundreds of miles apart. But he confessed the sin. And not only that, he confesses and identifies with the sin and takes ownership of the sin. Even though he isn't even there. He gives no buts about it. He doesn't say, but I'm here. I'm far away from that. He identifies with that. See, Nehemiah knows what it means to be with people. Even though he was far away and had this cush job and situation, you could say, he identifies with the hurt of his people. How about us, good news? Some of us are set up pretty good right now, but not everybody else is. And no, it wasn't our fault. No, we didn't put those people in that predicament. But think about the heart that's expressed here in prayer. And do we mimic that idea or that way of praying when we pray for others? Nehemiah asked God to remember his promises. He pleads with God to do what he promises. And do you notice he starts quoting scripture? He knows God's promises and he starts quoting them back to God. He's saying, God, do what you said you would do. If we confess, you say you'll do this. God, we're coming to you. You can rescue us. You've done it before. He remembers all the things that God has done for them. Let's look at verse 11. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah closes with a plea to God that he would have favor that he'd be able to speak to this king, that he'd be able to have favor with, I don't know if you all know this, he says the king, but he also says this man. Isn't that neat how he does that? Here's the contrast. When he's talking to God, he's showing how God is omnipotent. Lord, Heavenly Father, God of the heavens. But when he talks to the king, the most powerful person at that time, he still recognizes that king as this man. He still recognizes all the crazy things that are going on as is this woman, this man, this person 
in comparison and contrast to a God who can do it all. I think that's unbelievable. I think that sometimes I don't, when I pray, I don't know if I think about how great God is in comparison to some of the individuals that might cause harm. God is so much greater. He wants God to bless them. Nehemiah believed that God was going to use him. I was reading a book about historical movements. And a lot of what this book was arguing is that in a lot of movements, people think about a group of people or like a uh, like a whole country doing something. But what this history book was going through and saying is that almost every time it can almost be brought back to either one man or one woman who made the big difference that caused other people to kind of jump along. But a lot of times, some of these great things we think about in history have been started by one person being used. And Nehemiah is an example of that. He's one person who God uses to change a whole country. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if you all believe that for yourself or believe that for our congregation or your family, but there's so many stories in the Bible of people who weren't supposed to be the ones chosen, weren't supposed to be the ones picked, But God used them to do amazing things, change a whole society, change a whole culture. So what's the application to this? First thing I would say is we need to know who we're praying to. God can and has used the individual. There's a story about uh, Billy Graham. This was when he was very young and not well known. There was a person who was training him who could not make it to a high school auditorium to preach. He called the high school and told them, I'm not going to be able to make it, but I want to send this young man named Billy Graham. He's a really good evangelist. He has a lot of fire. He's not me, but he's he's really good. Have him go over there. He's going to preach at this event. And the high school was like, no, if you're not coming, we'll just cancel. We'll go another day. And so Billy Graham uh, was told that they were thinking about canceling. But this man, uh, the guy who was in charge of the organization, called back the high school and said, you have to take him. Like he said, basically he was saying, you don't take him, I'll never come at all, right? So anyway, Billy Graham goes and Billy Graham preaches. And he comes back and they're breaking down what happened. And they ask him, how did it go? And he said, well, I preached, I gave an invitation. And one person came up. One person became a believer. Then he said, well, did you write his name down? He said, yes, I did. And that one person was Warren Wiersbe. I don't know if if all you all know who Warren Wiersbe is. He ended up becoming a pastor of Moody Church. He ended up being someone who wrote over 50 books. He ended up being one of the greatest expositors of the Bible of our generation. And he just died in May 2019. But you all see what can happen with the individual. At that one time Billy Graham preached, one person came to the Lord and that person has so much fruit. We need to believe in that. I remember uh, I had a colleague who said, well, Carlos, when we, when, we pre- when we preach to people or when we lead people to the Lord, uh, what, if, what if like four or five of them become believers? Like, what do I do with my real friends? Like, what do I do with my family? 
And then I said, no, the, the idea is that when they become believers, like, they're going to become your friends. And they're going to become believers. They're going to become real family. You see, when we, when we pray, we need to realize that there's some people there that God is going to move. And when we pray, we're just asking God to do what he's already going to do and, and asking God to bring them. Another thing we need to do is we need to prepare. Nehemiah, with all his praying, all his starting that battle, he had something that was very important. He knew something right away. He knew that he needed guidance. And he knew that he, knew that he needed God's power and favor to speak to this king. How do you prepare? You read the scriptures and pray. But we also ask questions. We also listen. Sometimes we talk it out with people. We need to have a holistic view in how we do that. Visual, we're moving on to the next, the next, the next slide, the next piece there. I'm sorry, not the next slide, the next piece there. Yesterday I had something funny happen to me. I put this, are you going to cross the street? Yesterday I had something funny to me. I got a text from a gentleman named Zach Cordes sitting right over there. And my family and I, we own two chickens. Don't ask me why, we just do. So we got two chickens, and someone posted on Facebook that in the Humble Park Library, which we live right next to, there are two chickens that look like they need to be taken care of, that they're just on the loose. So our chickens got away. And Zach texted me and said, hey, are these your chickens? And put the picture there for me to see. And I said, those are my chickens. I don't know if he thought I was joking with them, but they really were. And so what I did is we all had somewhere to go, but we all stopped and we just, all six of us, went to find these uh, chickens. And we found them. They were hanging out under a tree, eating apples that people had thrown to them. Okay? It was a big event in our neighborhood. It was a big event. <laughs> it was a big event. We, had so, we got a chance to meet so many neighbors with that. But what I wanted to say is I was really appreciative to Zach. You know what, you know what I fit, realized in that? Like, he, he knows me, he knew me, he knew I had these chickens, this weird thing, and he actually, like, texted me, and I was able to find them. It would have been pretty sad if we lost those, to be honest with you. He actually had to pick up his phone and deal with that. He could have looked at that and not done anything. Nehemiah had the same opportunity. Some of us are okay. We can see all these problems in the world, all these people that don't know God, and we cannot do anything. We could even not even want to go cross the street. There's a preacher named Tony Smith. Don't look him up. He's kind of wild. But he said one thing one time, and it really hit me, because I see a lot of this in myself. He said that he's seen places where people will pick up a black dog that's just straight on the street. They'll pick it up, and they'll hug it and take care of it. But they wouldn't shake the hand of a black person. So sometimes the, the things that we are willing to do which would seem so much harder. Some of us are not even willing to cross the street to get to know our neighbor to maybe influence them for the Lord. Some of us know more about our grass and yard than about the single mother on the end of the block in your neighborhood. You know what, God? God doesn't just save you to save you. He saves you to something. I mean, you all seen that preview for that Harriet Tubman movie. 
If you haven't, you got to look at it. One thing that she says, and she's been quoted as saying is, the second she got free, the second she looked and was no longer treated the way she was being treated, the second that happened to her was the second she decided about going back and getting everybody else. God, the second you were saved, the second, the second that God saved you, that should be the moment where you go back and say, we need to go, I need to go back and get everybody. I remember when I was in fifth grade and I became a believer, we had a family party not too soon afterwards. I grabbed all the cousins because the, the other people used to get kind of wild. Anyway, some of y'all might have been there. Anyway, I grabbed all the cousins and I locked the bathroom and I had this little chalkboard with chalk and I started showing them the bridge illustration. I said, this is how you get saved. All you all sinners. This is how you. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. But I had the idea when I first got saved, and I think a lot of you all did too. But then we forget. We're, we're sitting as cupbearer to the king, and then we forget. And so we need to go back. Do you notice where he went back? He went back to his hometown. We need to go back to home first, take care of that. And then God will take us further. Last thing, this idea of simple obedience. Because of Nehemiah's first, uh, I'm sorry, his four months of praying and fasting, Nehemiah knew the first step. And sometimes these first steps and doing what God asked us to do, that's not simple. I'm not saying doing the things of the Lord are simple. But he was simple in that after praying and fasting, he knew what God told him to do, and he was just willing to do it. I was one of those kids that when my mom said so, it actually made me real comfortable because I didn't have to think. If my mom said so, like this is what it's going to be, then all I had to do was simply follow. But I don't catch that whooping. Right? Guys, there are things that God says so. They're non-negotiable. You don't have to think about them. They're simple Applications to what he exactly said. There's no need to, what does it say in this language? You don't even need to do it. It's so clear. And he does that in each one of us. Because he's good, he knows what we should obey. And he tells us to obey. May we be simple in our obedience to what God asks us to do. Amen? We're going to keep going through Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a lay person. I want to emphasize that. He is not like some of the other characters in the Bible. He has, a, he has a regular job, but God is going to use him. So it's not all about being a pastor or having a position. It's about, a, it's about God using an individual who loved him and had a relationship with him. So I just want you all to keep that in your mind as we keep going. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the example of Nehemiah. We thank you for his prayer life that we got a sneak peek into, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be simple in knowing that there are certain things that you've asked us to do, Lord. I pray that you would ask us and that you would have us to go and have us to obey, Lord. Lord, we pray for opportunities to have a prayer life like Nehemiah, opportunities to love 
opportunities to show what we, what we already know about you, Lord. God, we ask that you would bless this series, that you would bless this opportunity to dive into your word and hear what you would have for us, Lord. Lord, your word does not go void. It's not done empty. But we pray that it would have a meaningful impact on our lives. Thank you for the opportunity to learn from a lay person, a person who did not have a, a set-up position in the temple, in the church. We pray that we would see this example, Lord, and that it would move us. And we thank you for this great example of prayer. And we pray that you would help us to know that there are certain things you've asked us to do, like pray, like read your word, and help us to do that right away. In Jesus' name, amen.